needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and Garish Wigs. I'm Charlie Atheridge Nunn. I'm a writer and a Westworld fan. Hi, I'm Marsville Lobato, a science fiction writer and a Westworld fan, and by that I mean a 1973 Michael Crichton written and directed uh, movie starring Yul Brynner. Damn it, that means I've got to get the <laughs> other one. Okay, fine. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm, ah! I'm, ah! Uh, uh, I'm Matt and, and And you haven't given me a funny intro joke. I'm really upset. Uh, I'm hi, I'm Matt, a writer and a dot dot dot. What am I supposed to say? Yeah, well, something. But uh, it's not a wow. I'm Matt and Charlie and Miles are really, really freaked out to hear my voice on their podcast. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I'm Matt. I'm a I'm a comic book writer and a comic book fan, and I work in a comic book shop and I read comic books. Uh, so I, I noticed yeah. a theme. There you go. Yeah. Take a guess what I'm a fan of. Russian literature. Uh, yes. Yeah. Slideshows. <laughs> uh, pu- puppet puppet shows. Yeah. Speaking of puppet shows, the light in Charlie's um webcam sometimes falls in such a way it looks like he's been taken over by the misterons every so often you get two pale um dots of light on his shoulder i'm really concerned that i look like i'm in soft focus it's very 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 worrying i just i've tried to do all kinds of things with the light this is not my house by the way this is my this is the house i grew up in my parents house and this is not my china the the soft focus kind of goes like the nineteen sixties Vaseline on the lens look. It does. That look, trend goes. It, it's like Captain Kirk is seeing you, and it's like, my God, how beautiful! <laughs> yeah, I do look a bit weird. Sorry about that. I do. Yeah, I'm out of focus. Slightly. That's right. It's good to apologise for the audience. They are very fussy and used to <laughs> okay. visuals in the podcast. Can I so- can I preface this by I don't do podcasts, so um, I'm winging a lot of this. Is that all right, guys? That's fine. Cool. Yeah, yeah. This, so is, we- the, this is the Star Trek stuff, yeah. Yeah, it is. We we yeah, been- like lightsabers, all that kind of stuff. Oh, can I yeah. swear? Yeah. Can I swear? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all that lightsabers yeah. and, and Darth Vader and all that shit. Yeah, this is yeah. that one. Good. This, yeah. This is the Star Trek podcast where we just talk about Babylon Five all t- all day. Oh God. What? Pebble on Fibes, right? Yeah, it's fine. Actually, that's a very begrudging. It's, it's fine. We, we get to legitimately talk about Babylon 5 because Majel Barrett was actually on an episode of Babylon 5. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually. I, I, yeah. I watched most of Babylon 5. I don't remember a great deal of Babylon 5. No. Um, how was, how, I know Peter David wrote two episodes, didn't he? Yeah. That, that I do remember. Yeah, so... Just in case people don't recall, um, and if this is their first time, given our, our wonderful comic writer celebrity here, uh, we might get some first timers. We 
go through episodes of Star Trek based around the theme. And we... Sorry, I'm trying up... to th- I'm thinking, which, which comic writer celebrity are we... Oh, what? <laughs> oh, it's you. Right, me. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, come not, on. I'm not one. I'm not this one is, of those. This is Sorry, our first God. guest star. We need to hype you up. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we talk about three episodes of Star Trek based around a theme. And then we rank them on a big old list of best to worst. And because we're not the best Star Trek fans, this makes us the ultimate objective authority. Now, Matt, we spoke the last time we met in person and you said, oh, my God, I'm a massive Star Trek fan. And I immediately felt intimidated by that. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned testing each other you and the other people that were on the stool by quizzing each other on star trek stuff and i'm terrified that we will have got everything wrong about star trek when we start talking i'm a massive everything fan i'm i'm i love star trek but i mean the last thing i want to do is say i'm a massive fan because then the real massive fans will pull me apart so yeah yeah we'll see we'll see how we go we'll see how much i can wing and how much i can remember it's fine. Most of the massive fans probably live in America and won't want to shell out for airfare. <laughs> fine, I'm safe. Good. Excellent. So, Matt, who are you? And and why? Like, what's your f- first and favourite experiences of Star Trek? Right. So, I mean, I'm Matt Hardy. Hi. I'm a long-time friend of Charlie's. I've known Charlie for years. Um, we've, me, me and Charlie have made comic books together. Possibly the most intimate thing two human beings can do um, uh, together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some of them involving the intimate actions of a blob that solves crime. <laughs> uh, uh, Charlie wrote a story about a blob. Which is, we're just let's clarify that because that sounds really dodgy. But so, and I, I edited and published that story. Uh, I write comic books. Uh, I've written for a few English publications, uh, a few American publications. Uh, I publish a lot of my own work under the. Uh, publishing header of Mad Robot Comics. Um, I'd prefer not to talk about my comic stuff that much, to be perfectly honest. I'm here for you guys today. I'm here to talk about Star Trek. I really am. But yeah. I, I love that our first guest star is as quintessentially bloody British as both, as both of us. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> a reputation to maintain here. Yeah. My, so my, my first, I mean, I, I, Started watching Star Trek. I started watching Next Gen. I mean, yeah, that's that's my age age bracket. Yeah, Next Gen, uh, BBC Two, I think. Oh, it yeah. used to be on six six o'clock, and I think, like everyone, I probably found it inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, until Best of Both Worlds, uh, at which point I was probably flawed, like most people. And yeah, yesterday's Enterprise, and then yeah. Um, I'm a massive DS9 fan, um, goes without speaking, but I'm loving New Trek at the moment as well. Yeah. yeah. I was watching Lower Decks as I was spinning my wheels waiting for you guys to turn up. I adored the last series of Strange New Worlds. I mean, it comes on at midnight over here on, on Paramount Plus, and I was staying up to midnight every Wednesday to watch it because I just adored the most recent series. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, BBC Two, Next Gen, trying to work out who on earth these people were and why whenever my parents or anyone else talked about Star Trek, they talked about this Kirk and Spock. <laughs> it's quite clearly they were not the people on my TV screen. Oh, there was a, a fantastic generational thing with that, of going as a kid, oh my God, Data, LaForge, and then parents going, 
well, I fancied Kirk or Spock or whatever. It's like, <laughs> oh, right, oh. these are totally different people. Okay. What's really weird is, from my point of view at Next Gen, it felt like the original series was like 50 years in the past. Yeah. It felt, but it's... it's nearer to next gen than we are to to ds9 and voyager isn't it there's a a big much bigger gap so that is correct isn't it that's right in my head yeah 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 very much so that'll be the first thing i get pulled up on look look it's um it's 2023 time means nothing anymore yeah yeah there is that it feels like it it was a million years since discovery started time is is illusion t time doubly so is that right? Yep. Yeah. We, we're officially like in a, we're in official one of weird Grant Morrison comics where time and space are concerned at this point. Yeah, exactly. So um, normally we go into what non-Star Trek thing we've been enjoying, but I need to do a little bit of um, a little bit of admin here, and I realise I completely messed up in not looking at our Kofi, and there's a donor. We have someone who actually likes us enough to pay us some money. So, yes, I'd like to give a shout out to our donor, Cheryl, who decided to give us some gold press latinum in support and has picked the theme of our next episode of Casual Trek. So stick around till the end and you'll find out what that is. So with that out of the way, um, Matt, as you're the first person to guest on here, um, you can go first here. What thing that's not Star Trek have you been enjoying in the last week or so? Um, uh, I'm watching Only Murders in the Building. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yes. That's, um, I mean, the first season was brilliant. Second season was good. And they just seem to have worked out exactly what works from all the, the bits. And the third, yeah, third season hit the ground running. Yeah, we're only a couple of episodes in, but there's a there's a kind of magic to it, you know. Yeah, um, Mel Streep is just oh, absolutely. Mel, Mel Streep is stealing the stealing the show every second she's on. Um. So yeah, that and uh, I'm also watching. What am I watching? Watches Gemstones as well. Oh yes. Uh, oh okay. Great third, third series of that. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> can be a bit hard going sometimes um i think it's, i think it's a little it's i think it feels they feel they're a bit funnier than they are but they, there's so many so much good stuff in it so yeah yeah i really loved righteous gemstones i've been going back and starting watching east Battenton down uh which has very similar vibes you know same creators um, I had a pitch for an Adam X the Extreme comic, which was basically <laughs> Eastbound and Down kind of thing. Does she certainly um, work an Adam X reference into every podcast or something? I just uh, I kind, of, kind of feel that he was waiting, waiting to say that. <laughs> so, mostly, mostly. Most of them, yeah. Um, cool. And Miles, what about you? What non-Trek thing have you been enjoying? Oh, well, I started watching Ahsoka. And that felt really flat to me, so I ended up watching uh, Doctor Who, Planet of the Daleks, my original first in foray into the world of Doctor Who. And I had so much fun watching that, I thought, you know what I've never done? Watched all the classic Who in broadcast order. 
as best I can. So yesterday I started watching An Unearthly Child, November 23, 1963. And I finished that one. I thought, you know, that was one good episode and three episodes of cavemen shouting at each other. <laughs> I think I'll, I think I'll go and go straight on to Daleks. And then, um, midway through, I'm like, okay, this is enough Daleks shouting at each other for me. So probably after I finish recording and have myself some lunch, I will push myself through the last four episodes of Dalek and go from there. There are, there are definitely some, some fun bits, but a lot of that. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of killing of time. Feel free to skip. Oh, that, that, that would be cheating. No, feel free to skip. <laughs> Can I just say, Ahsoka, now, I'm adoring Ahsoka, but I'm a massive Rebels fan. Yeah. And I, I can f- mentally pick out, if I pick out all the stuff in there I like about Rebels, it is flat. It right. is slow. The third episode was an improvement, but just visually and dialogue-wise, the first two episodes felt like I was watching... Um, did you ever play like one of those old um, FMV PC games from the mid-90s, where they've still just kind of cracked... Um, being able to put like live cutscenes on PC games, mm-hmm. sort of getting in actual actors. You get in Mark Hamill, you get in Malcolm McDowell, and but no one really knows how to do the green screen thing yet because um we haven't had the Star Wars prequels, so everyone feels kind of stilted and awkward. Oh, and it's just managed to capture that nineties um FMV V feel perfectly. See, I I made it about six or seven episodes into Rebels when I was acquiring them through less than legitimate means. And I've not bothered going back to it. Now I have legitimate means through Disney Plus. So um, I'll I, watch I, Ahsoka I, I, on Rebels with them. Love, I, Rebels, thoroughly recommend Rebels. Loved it a bit. And the Rebels nostalgia mm. is me dragging me through Ahsoka it and feels... loving it for the nostalgia. The nostalgia has hooked me. But yeah. yeah, I know mentally as a writer, I can look at it and I can take that put it aside and say this is very formulaic yeah yeah yeah. and it's labored and slow slow so many places so many scenes of just doing nothing it's yeah it's yeah that's personal opinion although i adore the actress playing um oh drawn a complete blank the mandalorian girl sabine 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 red thank you sorry complete blank for a second yeah sabine she's superb I, I do like the Star Trek uh, Star Wars podcast. It's very good. We can, we can talk about Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We can talk about these things. So, I, on the other hand, I am back on my lost bullshit. I've oh, been watching, no. I've been watching season two of From, starring Lost's own Harold Perrineau, who is an amazing actor who's given very little to do in Lost itself. And is amazing in From, which is a terrible name for a TV show, especially if you're just Googling it or anything. Oh, yeah, I want to see From. What? From what? So From is about a town where it's like a family crash their like caravan kind of thing. And um, they get stuck in this town where if you leave, if you go out one side, you'll come back another way like it's surrounded by woods and no matter where you go you will return to this town and at night there are things they're not quite vampires but they're they they smile way too much and a lot of them look like dead people that the people in the town know 
and a lot of them have lived here for a long time now. So Har- Harold Perrineau is kind of a, a sheriff of it who makes sure people get inside, like bar up any, um, kind of board up any windows, do not listen to anything that comes at, from um, comes for you at night. And it's unpacking some of that mystery. And, you know, it's one of those mystery box shows where hopefully it won't get cancelled before it can answer things. But it's been a fun that's, ride that's, so far. Yeah, it sounds interesting enough pitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love a failed attempt to be lost or to recapture a magical. <laughs> you, you just love a so mystery far, box, don't you? I do. I do. I keep thinking I, I need... To, I've got ideas for doing a mystery box rpg engine kind of thing and i've still of course got, you do i've still got my horror comic amnesiac city but one day i'll show everyone my own mystery box amnesiac city by the way which i've read i've read charlie's script for it it's basically charlie going this is how you do lost <laughs> yep, yep. yep yep no i i am i am familiar with amnesiac city <laughs> i i have i have also had charlie basically shout amnesiac city at me um at a lot when i'm alone but it is Charlie Charlie going, it's this is lost if you've thought about what you were doing in advance. <laughs> um Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Sorry, Charlie. Anyway, on that note, uh things we've thought about in advance are some episodes about the wonderful Majel Barrett. She was the I guess what, mistress, girlfriend, wife, widow. Ye- of Gene Roddenberry? Yes. Yeah. Yes, all, all of the all above. All, all of the above. Yeah. yeah, the first lady of Star Trek and has been in possibly more shows than anyone else in some form or other. So today, uh, I realised we'd not even mentioned the topic. We were so excited about Matt showing up. Uh, so today, we're not talking about Matt. We're talking about Majel Barrett. Originally, we were going to try and talk about something related to your comics, but we mentioned this as a theme, and you were like, yes, we're doing that. <laughs> so, here Did we I? are. Yeah, pretty oh, okay. much. You were excited oh, okay. about Magic. I Barrett. just wanted to come on and talk Star Trek with you yeah. guys. <laughs> so, I'm um, actually a huge fan of hers, so that's quite interesting that I was so positive. Oh, well. Well, you... um. Weren't you reading a Star Trek book, which is a sign oh, that you're not a casual? Oh, I am working my way back through New Frontier books, and they do do something, yeah, kind of clever with 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 the idea of of her playing multiple characters throughout Star Trek in it. So, yeah, I suppose, yeah, that is that is of interest to me. Yeah, I have the vaguest memory of that. I read, I want to say, the first two New Frontier books a long time ago when I realised two-time GLAAD award winner Peter Allen David wrote novels as well as comics. I, I was a big fan of his his Star Trek novels, and yeah, I really enjoyed New Frontier. So, And at the moment, I'm trying to take some downtime away from comics. I have a few health issues. So yeah, we, we, I very rarely go back and revisit and reread stuff or rewatch stuff. I'm not that mm. type of person. I like new experiences. Yeah. yeah. But occasionally, I'd, yeah, it's comfort food. So, yeah, I'm rereading some of the New Frontier novels at the moment. Yeah, I get a bit like that with prose as well. Unless it's short fiction like uh, Robert Chambers or Kelly Link or something, I have to move on and read something new rather than revisit old old things. But it's it's an interesting sign when something stays with you enough that you yeah. have to revisit it like those New Frontier books. I mean... Basically, they, they sit on my shelves, and I was looking at them thinking, I might read that. 
that's, that's, that's all there was. All, it's all there was to it. I just thought I, I, I need I need to stop thinking about all the things in my life I've got to do. Open a book that's near me. That's yep. how it works, isn't it? Yeah. Why not? And um, over that, or watch some episodes of Star Trek. And here we have three episodes about Magil Barrett, which we're going to recap and chat about. So first up, we have Miles, who will be telling us about the original series, season one, episode nine, titled, What Are Little Girls Made Of? And um, yeah, that's probably good to know because we're a bunch of cis guys. <laughs> chatting don't, around the don't, don't worry, I think J.K. Rowling asked the same question on Twitter all the oh. time. Uh, so, <laughs> not, um, not not untrue. Not yeah, untrue. Not yeah. Untrue. So this episode aired on the twentieth of October, nineteen sixty-six. It was written by Cat's Paw favorite Robert Block and directed by James Goldstone. Uh, the UK and US number one hits were aired at the same time as this episode with Jim Reeves with Distant Drums in the UK. And in the US, it was the Four Tops with Reach Out, I'll Be There. And um, yeah, I'd not heard Distant Drums before. No. No, I was like, I don't care for the tune that much. And then I looked at the lyrics and was like, oh, I'm going to wither and die. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the other way round almost with Four Tops. Was this recommended reading? Was I supposed to listen to the songs? <laughs> um, most, of the time, most of the time, we don't listen ahead of time and go, I remember this, or I've no idea. I don't know more music. I know the Four Tops song, but yeah, no, I'm sorry. To yeah, no, I it's... The other one. Sobering, almost. Yeah, I, I saw the comments in the YouTube video, and it was almost all, I saw this, at a, I heard this at a parent's funeral. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I oh, get that. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. One well, of those bad? kind of oldies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Four Tops, Reach Out, I'll Be There is is just a joyous classic. You know, it's a lovely song. So yeah, that's that's what grounds us in this time, like when this happened. And Miles, because the audience may not remember what Little Girls are made of, you've got five minutes to recap for us what it's actually about and engage the uss enterprise has traveled to the planet exo free to search for the um dr roger corby who is a exobiologist who is also the fiance of doc of nurse christine chapel um and of course you know kirk and spock are there and now thanks to strange new worlds this is really awkward yeah. Um, they get they get a message from uh, Doctor Corby who asks for Christine and Kirk to beam down to meet them outside, a, you know, at a cave entrance. Uh, they beam down with some security guys, um, and they beam down inside the cave because the um the entrance out of the cave is a nice little painted backdrop. Uh, the caves are bright and purple, and they ex they explore, leaving the security officers by the cave just in case anything goes wrong. As um turns out. The cave has no safety railings and a lot of very deep drops. And while Kirk and Chapel are heading down, w the security officers uh, meet with a big case of OSHA violation. They meet uh, Corby's assistant, Dr. Brown. Christine doesn't remember him, but you know, she's fine with him. No, she's fine. And they, you know, Brown's like, yeah, this, this was an accident. 
honest. Hey, let's go meet Dr. Roger Corby. And they they go down, they find this nice little um a nice little room, a nice little bed set in this underground winter cave with some nice little well, nice little wooden fern nice little IKEA furniture. And and they meet Dr. Corby, who is um not at all twitching weird, that's fine. And then also, um, he's like, hey, did you meet Andrea? She is really attractive. Oh, by the way, she's a robot. Oh, and by the way, you know my assistant, Dr. Brown? Also a robot. Then the door opens, and this big, bold, pale bugger in some very nifty robes rushes in and attacks, and oh, he's a robot as well. Turns out that the old ones who used to live in the city... Um, they built robots to do everything, and then they all died out. Stick a pin in that. And Dr. Corby is like, yeah, um, I had to build robot assistants, um, one of whom is um, a man my old age, and um, another one is a woman in this outfit. Uh, Christine, don't be weirded out by this, and Christine is, um, yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> kind of, look, a man... A man has, um, a man needs company, and, um, but she, I didn't build her for that. Um, she's then highly attractive and almost naked. She's highly attractive, almost naked, and I'll make, and to prove to you that nothing weird and sexy is going on, I'm gonna make a snog Kirk. And she snogs, <laughs> and she snogs Kirk, and, um, because that's fine. That, that's, this that's is fine. Fine. everything that's is weird. not weird at this, all. This is not weird at all. Um, you know, have you ever been to a party and someone says to you, you and them, now kiss? The party goes weird very quickly. Don't ask me how I know. Um, and then to prove that nothing weird is going on, Corby strips Kirk naked and puts him on a turny, turny turntable thing with like this gray blob on the other side. And it spins, it spins. And through the power of centrifugal, uh, centrifugal forces, they now have two Kirks for the price of one. One of whom is an android. And then, you know, Corby makes sure to put in all of Kirk's personality. And Kirk starts being racist to Spock while he's unconscious. Wonder why that is. Turns out Corby wants to just kind of start replacing people with robots. Because he feels that if we're all in robot bodies, that'll be fine. Society would be perfect. So, you know, clearly... When we have this incredible technology which will perfect mankind, the best thing to do it is to do it underhandedly, very sneakily, very covertly. Again, no red flags here. No. On a turntable. On a turntable. Um, so now wearing Captain Kirk's clothes, Robot Kirk goes up to the Enterprise. It's like, yeah, um, uh, Spock, we need to get everyone... We just need to get some stuff for Dr. Corby because we're going to be doing some detours. And Spock's like, yeah, are you sure? We, we got an itinerary. And uh, Robot Kirk busts out the same racism that uh, Kirk was spouting earlier. Meanwhile, uh, Kirk escapes in the cave. And Ruck, the giant, the giant lurch-like robot, chases after him. And Kirk breaks off a bit of rock, which looks very suggestive. Oh, oh, oh. no. Oh, no. Right at that point. Yeah, time's up. 
five minutes. Good, good place to uh, to stop for a moment in awe. Oh, we didn't get to say the phrase "rock that looks like a giant dildo." It's right. I'd do it. i do it for you. There you go. <laughs> That's right. You're, we'll the, you're the guest. You get the honor, Matt. <laughs> what does Kirk use to defend himself against the the android? Uh, the android ruck. He has a rock cock. <laughs> hey! Okay, let's let's see how long it takes Smiles to finish us off. <laughs> Perfect, Charlie. Perfect timing. Perfect choice of words. Bring, bring, bring us to bring us to a, a close. Bring us to a, a finish. Fin- finish off. Finish, finish you off. No problem. Off. Is there a happy ending to this? <laughs> right. So, uh, Kirk attacks um, Ruck with a giant phallic symbol, but Ruck is too powerful for phallic symbols. And um, Ruck reveals that he's just remembered what happened to the Old Ones. It turns out that the Old Ones built so many machines that the machines realized, yeah, we don't actually need you guys. And they committed a, um, a robot uprising. See, The Matrix, Terminator, I Have No Mouth and I Am a Scream, you know, all the greats. Um, meanwhile, Robot Kirk has come down, and Andrea, who was kind of seduced by Kirk's incredible tongue action, um, starts to kind of go a little crazy with a phaser, and ends up blowing both herself, Ruck, and the Robot Kirk. In the in the kerfuffle, we find out that, um, oh no, Dr. Corby was, oh, was a robot all along. Who could have seen that coming? But don't worry, Christine... It's not weird. We can get couples counseling, and Christian's like, I, I think the, I, I think the engagement is 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 off, mate. Uh, turns out he was dying of frostbite, and he found the robot upgrading technology and fought to upgrade himself into a robot body, and he dies. Well, he's blown up by Andrea, and um, Kirk, and then Spock rushes in to find out that Christine's fiancé is now dead. Again, thanks to Strange New World, this is now Ricky Gervais' office level of awkward between these two. Everyone goes up to the ship, and Christine decides to stay on as the nurse of the end, as um, McCoy's nurse, and carry a crush on Spock, which is now, again, really awkward thanks to Strange New Worlds. Just a bit. Well, that was two minutes and 20 over. And um, yeah, it. I mean, it didn't have a massive amount that was, you know, we've seen a lot of these, I want to turn everyone into robots kind of things. They weren't giant robots, like the no. giant Spock, which I feel works against it. But um, otherwise, it was good fun. Like we saw the canonical first red shirt deaths. And yeah. uh, they were a bit embarrassing, who, really. Who redshirt death, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. 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 And Kirk, like, we see him really go through it sometimes when people die, but we just never see before in an episode. And yeah, he has a moment of like, oh, no. It's like, well, they should have had better health and safety here. Um, I assume the old ones weren't big fans of it. Can I just ask a question? So the ending, yeah, in my head, I thought 
uh, Andrea. Is that the yeah? She uh, yeah. She. I thought she sh- killed. Did she? She killed both of them. She killed both of them. I kind of. I kind of. Uh, I kind of buggered up the um the timing in the in the recap. I mean, oh, it doesn't can. make a lot of sense. Any, no, any, anyway, no. It's, like. It's, sh- she kills Android Kirk because Android Kirk won't put out. Yeah, won't make out with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, slight overreaction. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I found I found I found it a, quite an unnerving episode. Actually, there's a real sense of what what the hell is going on throughout the mm. whole thing. I thought it was absolutely lovely. Um, but yeah, so much of the uh, motivations didn't make a lot of sense to me, especially yeah that ending. I mean, the end felt like they'd reached the final act and were like, shit, okay, right, everyone dead. We need to kill everyone yep. and then back up, reset we're, uh, for the next episode. We're an episodical format. We don't, can't carry anything forward. You know, These are very important characters. Let's kill them off so we can move on to the next thing. And yeah. we will never talk about it again. I, like, I do like... Um, Block's writing. He wrote uh, the he wrote the original novel for Psycho, um, which is very which is similar but very different to the much better film. And he also wrote a lot of Lovecraft's pastiches. He was one of the Lovecraft circle back in the day. And this has some of that kind of relay, uh, kind of very much like uh, relay in At the Mountains of Madness, like the ancient Arctic city and the Charlie. You're the the ex the Lovecraft expert. Oh, yeah. On the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I like the old weren't, weird racist. Weren't weren't the shockoffs like <laughs> like wrote, like workers built like by the old ones? Yeah. To basically do all the work and they went, nah, we're just gonna kill you all and just do it ourselves. Yeah, it was that sort of a deal. Um it was fascinating seeing the sudden reference to old ones, and when I realized it was Robert Block, it's like, oh, course cat's paw mentions old ones as well it just but has those weird little clangers tiny clangers yeah star trek's weird as it turns out like the more yeah. i watch these episodes especially the original series it's oh my god so many old ones and kind of weird cosmic deities out there it's it's amazing that as so few people have died in weird ways i mean Reading the facts about this online was fascinating. Of yep, Gene Roddenberry made Shatner shave his chest because he figured Kirk wouldn't be a hairy man uh, for the weird <laughs> merry-go-round kind of scene. Um, that and I, I, for, they... for memory, for <laughs> yeah. memory, I I'm sure he goes from they're standing having a conversation. In the very next scene, Kirk is strapped naked to the wheel. There is no. It's like how. It just it, he's just you know. Look, Kirk doing a proper fight. He's strapped so, naked, and he seems quite happy. He seems quite happy. He's clearly, to the wheel. Matt hasn't spent enough a lot of time in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> one minute you're t- one minute you're talking, next minute you're strapped naked to a wheel. Okay. Oh yeah, well, yeah. We've all been there. And like it, it is kind of like. I, I loved watching the the spinny wheel because I'm like, yep, this is the sick. This is camp as hell, and I love it. Like this is this is a Batman death trap from like the old Adam West TV show. It's like, yep, mm-hmm. we will put him on a wheel and kill him by centrifugal forces. Hell yeah! Um, well, like the prisoner with kind of big monitoring device seesaws. Oh and, yeah, you know, that kind of wonderful prop where you go makes no sense, but let's go with it. Someone spent a long time building this thing for the sole purpose 
of spinning. So, you know, it, and it's I love not that. needed. It's no, but contractors came in, they were given the plans, they built this thing just so it can look good. Hell yeah. <laughs> do, do you think uh, Shatner had his stunt double go for most of it? I mean, this is early Shatner, so I don't know. I don't know yes, if he could have been no, talked into it yet. Yeah, it's probably not a great deal of body fat in early Shatner, is there? He no. might, yeah. might have gone to sh- show it all off. Do you think that Kirk and Spark have an agreement, like a code? Like, if Kirk drops a slur, that means he's actually that means he's been duplicated by the by an evil duplicate. It's an interesting one because, like, we saw in Space Seed, the kind of underlying, like, oh no, humanity is just all aspirant dictators and you know feral monsters of people. Chat for. Kirk and Bones and Scotty had in front of a horrified, uh, horrified Spock. So seeing this kind of thing of like, well, I guess, I guess Kirk is evidently not racist to Spock. Not certainly not the Bones level. No. What if Kirk has a really bad day? He's got a got a <laughs> migraine. He's got got a got a toothache. He's had a heavy night the night before, and he just snaps at Spock. No, not not a oh. racial epithet, but he just literally. <laughs> and, and the next thing you know, he's he's in the brig, and and, and Spock's like, "You've been replaced by a duplicate again." And it's <laughs> yeah, like, that's oh, obviously a bad day this time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bit. He's a little bit paranoid. Doesn't like. Oh, he was mean to me. He must be evil. <laughs> Is the problem of having that kind of a system in place. Yes. That's, you can get the, pick up the wrong uh, cue that, sometimes. That's, that's just middle management at work. Yeah. I, oh, dear. So who else was kind of surprised by... I, I always assume the, the 60s to be like a bit more sexy, but a bit more prudish in just how they talk about it. So I was very surprised when Majel Barrett just all basically just you know just says that Corby built himself a fuckbot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there is there is a line along those lines, isn't there? He she mm. says something like she, she refers have you, have to him you, as a, have, you, have you been with her as well? Something like that. She says something along like, those lines, like which she is refer, she refers to her as a geisha. That's it. Yeah, yeah. She does. yeah. yeah. She says, "Yeah, you built you built Brown, you built uh, a monster, and you built a gator or something along those lines." She said, "Doesn't she?" So, yeah, the three things you would build if you're stuck on a planet building robots. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty certain I know which one I'd start with. No, I can't say that. (laughs) See that? It would it would be the bodyguard, of course. Of course, of course. Keep keep me safe. You, You build yourself a big. Butch, bald bodyguard and very long flowing robes. In there a, is nothing in, weird. In caves, caves full of fallacies. Yeah, no, there is nothing. No problem. Nothing weird. Are you sure you haven't been to Brighton that much? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Major Barrett, shall we? Shall we talk yeah, about that? She, <laughs> she, she feels um, drastically underserved here compared yeah. to everyone else. But, mm. I mean, I am correct here. This is her biggest starring role in an episode, isn't it? This is the biggest bite of the cherry she actually gets in the original series. And yeah, she's, she... um, I'm, I'm, I can't, can you think of a meteor? No, <laughs> like she, no, she gets not... a very substantial role. Like, Cause I think Chris, like I always just think of Christine Chapel in the original show as just being standing there, just kind of passing like medical props or just mm. kind of pining after spark. Well, yeah, I think prior to this in 
in our viewing in casual trek the most we've seen her do was get soup for a moody spock when he was going for his ponfar yeah that's that's another big thing but i mean mm. this is this theoretically this mm. is her big moment to shine I she like has motiva- motivation yeah. This yeah. is her, her fiancé who she's pining for, who she thinks is dead and is back to life. And she's at the centre of it all. And really, she doesn't get to do a great deal again. No. It's pushed around from pillar to post a bit. It's an absolute crying shame. Yeah. Well, it feels like even Andrea gets more to do than her. Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah. Well, on the point of Andrew, that is like one of the best um, outfits I think we get in the original show. It felt very Dave Cockrum Legion of Superheroes. Ten, ten out of ten, no notes. Yeah. Apparently, they had to have a censor at the, <laughs> like, at the set to make sure she wasn't showing off too much side boob. <laughs> uh, I, I love when people say that Star Trek's not sexy. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, so um yeah, it was it was an interesting one, but again, the problem is this is what episode 9 of the original series and we have seen a lot of secret robot society, you know, yeah. pe- everyone is robots now. And as I said, this is no infinite Vulcan. This is no I think the world would be better if everyone was a giant robot clone of themselves. And yeah, that's the ambition I want, you know? So quite literally, go big or go home. Literally that, exactly. You could be the first person to sign up when they when you, your Android body starts to come off the production line. You'll be, you'll be there. <laughs> hey, you know, look, I've got an old shattered husk of a body. I need... I, I got, I got I, failing kidneys. I'm, I'm absolutely there. First chance, yeah, yeah. First chance they come off. Emma has banned me from having giant robot spider legs or Doc Ock arms. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I have I said like... I want those. And she was like, never. Just, no, no. Emma is a sensible woman, Charlie. <laughs> no, no robot legs. Fine. Could I be like a, bri- no a brain legs, in a no, giant no robot? Eyes. <laughs> no brain in a giant jar, Charlie. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. I'm no fun. Oh, so unfair. <laughs> See, I'm sure, I'm sure if my, uh, my my wife could have my my body upgraded to um to to have ver- to have various like appendages, um she would not she wouldn't complain. <laughs> like you know, to to kind of go with a sort of like the um the, the tent like the Lovecraftian tentacle theme. Yeah. Wow, like my, wife she- says I'm, my wife says I'm perfect, and I'm having that on on the podcast recorded. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. See, this is what's great about these kind of recordings. It's like when when I was briefly doing videos, uh, video game videos on YouTube for D Pad Magazine. The first time that Emma said she loved me was in a Mario Kart game uh, that we recorded. (laughs) So it is it is online. Five people have seen it, but it is there. That's. That's sweet and, and weird and kooky. All at the uh, no, it's sweet. Yeah, <laughs> had you just had you just done something amazing? Had you just taken out a competitor? What had you done to <laughs> for her to suddenly? Um, she, she, hit him you... with, she hit him with a blue shell and got to first before him. <laughs> Yay! I love you. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I, a much more competitive co-host had left the room, so I set it down the CC. Because literally only he and I were able to deal with the speeds at that point. So yeah. 
Anyway, on that note, um, we should probably actually rank where this goes on our big list. Uh, now, Matt, you may or may not be familiar with this list, but we have a giant document, which is a list of best to worst going all the way from the number one yeah. spot, which is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, a recent entry in at number one. At our midpoint, we have Lower Decks with the least dangerous game where Boimler gets hunted for sport. And at the very, very bottom, we have, mm. sadly enough, a Strange New Worlds episode. As much as I love Strange New Worlds, the episode with the machine where you kill a boy and it makes a city float and Starfleet do absolutely nothing about it and go like, yeah, fine, I guess. Like, this isn't good, but we're just going to let it keep going on. Every time we mention that episode, I just want to quote Beyond the Spider-Verse and just go, it's a metaphor for capitalism. <laughs> Look, um, I hope that one day in a future season of Strange New Worlds, Pike comes back and just goes, right, we're sorting this shit out. In which case, yeah, retrospectively, that may go, that may end up going up. But it, it felt like a real... I, I like that episode. It made me feel extremely uncomfortable, mm. which is which is what you want from from good fiction. It made me extremely yeah. uncomfortable, um, and yeah, made me question a, a great deal of it. But I still thought it was a yeah, well put together piece of piece of work. No, you guys. I mean, it, I've, I've, yeah. I, by the way, you've sent me the list. I'm looking down the list at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's a big long list. Don't expect me to read the whole list. This is our objective list. list. Of yeah. best worst. That's but right. I can, I can, I can see. It's right. Yeah. It's an objective list, and we are simply sculptors chipping away at the marble until the proper list of what is good and what isn't in Star Trek. I, I mean, quite, quite clearly, this is going to be the list set in stone. Obviously, no one's ever going to disagree <laughs> with with your list at all. <laughs> are they? Star, Trek, Star Trek fans are known for agreeing completely but on everything. This, so this is why it's casual Trek. You know, we're covering <laughs> ourselves for the inevitable. Um, yeah. So, I've I've already mentioned, for me, this is no infinite Vulcan. I'm thinking that's probably my ceiling. Yeah. It's probably not going above spot 25 here on our list. Um, I, th I think, personally, I thought the, the ideas, you can see the ideas there yeah, straining, yeah. straining to get out. <laughs> Straining against the the constraints of a brand new show, who not really knowing what where their feet are, what they're doing, and trying to fit it into a, a single episodic. I mean, there's there's an epic in that. There's an epic in that episode yeah. squeezed into an episode. So, and it's and it's me it's messy because of that. Really yeah. messy. So, okay, if we're talking about that kind of thing, the marquee from DS Nine. Mm might be a comparable element where it's a yes. really good idea and the execution of that two-parter really it's wasn't terrible, wasn't yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, which was where's sad. That, where's that on here? That spot. Number 40. Okay. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Let's see. Yeah. Is that... Gotcha. So if it's better than that, is there anything below it that it's worse than? I mean, it's not better uh... than Catspaw, in my opinion. No. Catspar has a castle with skeletons and clangers. <laughs> They're great old ones. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember a lot of these. Quality of mercy is not great. 
Uh, oh, I like the game. Oh, the game, the game, the game is silly and fun. And we get Robin Luther out of the game. I think is that even that's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Again, this is not as good as the game. Definitely. No. Um, like is. I I would say on ideas where the concept kind of strains against the length of time. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm looking at um virtuoso. Which is the one where the doctor becomes a popular singer on a oh, planet yeah. which doesn't have singing. But yeah. you know, this this start, but this has the one thing most episodes of Star Trek don't have, which is a giant dildo rock. It does have the <laughs> giant dildo rock. Uh, that, that is in its favor. Um, okay, so we sang better than virtuoso. I would. Definitely say better than Virtuoso. This is your list, guys. So yeah, you you place it where you think is best. But yeah, okay, that seems that's it. That seems about right to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, um, yeah. It's not like we can say Voyager do better, get giant dildo rocks because you know it's already aired and finished. But hopefully, hopefully one day we will find an episode that is comparable. Okay. Next up, we have our second episode of the evening. Which is Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3, Episode 24, Menage a Troy. Menage a Troy. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. Menage a Troy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, None of us are saying it. We're just letting you dig in nice. You yep, know, go, 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 keep going. Keep going there, Charlie. That's right. I figured I'd, I'd try to dig deeper and see if there was gold there and there isn't. Um, this aired on the 28th of May, 1990. It's written by Fred Branson and Susan Sackett, directed by Robert Legato. The UK and US number one hits. This time it is two that I've heard of. It's the UK had Adamski with Killer and the US had Madonna with Vogue, both of which not really hits that I go out of my way to listen to, but no. still appreciate. Killer's not a bad piece of music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It feels very like 1980s cyberpunk or 1980s Vampire the Masquerade kind of game, <laughs> that sort of thing, you know? Like, I'd imagine it in a dark nightclub somewhere. I know. I'd like to see the, the Vampire Masquerade lot where Vogue is playing. Yes. I, I just want to see the vampires going, Strike a pose, pose. I mean, that's, that's the Torridor clan right there. <laughs> so they got people for that. I'll, t- um, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I won't get into Vampire the Masquerade. We're already running long on a show that, right. frankly, almost every time I end up going, yeah, this one's going to go a, a bit over the expected time. All right. So. Are you ready? I think I am. All right. Five minutes begins now and engage. So. It's conference time on, on Beta Z, I think, or somewhere around there. Guest starring the Ferengi and some weird music, which feels like it belongs in the Moss Eisley Cantina band. The Ferengi <laughs> fucking hate it. Riker is thrashing a Ferengi called Nibor at 3D Chess, and Wesley is sucking up to him. All is right with the world. And then a wild Roxana Troy appears, judging her daughter Lucille Bluth style and getting propositioned by Damon Tog. He's going about it in a very that guy on the internet way. You know, you know that guy. 
he's probably got several videos about the Snyder Cut and how Brie Larson has ruined the MCU. <laughs> Look, Tana doesn't give a shit about him, though. Or dating in general. She's decided she's going full Mrs. Bennett. Now she wants to make sure that her daughter finds a suitable suitor. Probably Riker. And Deanna pulls the whole, no, I'm an adult. I can do what I want or who I want and storms <laughs> off. Uh, it's, it's, like an adult. It's so yep. mature. <laughs> Elsewhere, everyone is really proud of Wesley. He's kind of everyone's son at this point in the show. He's aced a written test and he's going to head off for an oral exam unless anything goes wrong, but it won't, right? Uh, Riker is pushed into having shore leave by Picard and goes on a lovely picnic with Deanna, dressing in like romance novel protagonist <laughs> clothes, but with the shirt closed for now. Um, Boo. Yeah, they're interrupted by Luxana, who uh, lowers the mood despite her best intentions. And to make things worse, Damon Tog appears with some shitty flowers kidnaps Riker and both the Troys. Uh, they all land in a cell, and because TNG's Ferengis are the literal worst, they beam the ladies out without their clothes, because apparently their women don't wear them. Tog gives some sheets as he's trying to be reasonable in his own way. Um, his wingman, Dr. Farrakh, played by Ethan Phillips, yes, Neelix himself, keeps using threats, which is really, really bad wingmanning. Uh, Luxana sends Deanna away to better speak to Tog, and he thinks that involves a bed now. Over on the Enterprise, LaForge and Data inspire an incredible existential crisis in Wesley, reminding him that if he goes to the Academy, if he passes, he'll probably never come back to the Enterprise. Also, there's something stopping comms for Planet. They don't know about the kidnapping. It's all fine. They'll look into it. Meanwhile, on the Ferengi ship, uh, Riker's jailer is Nybor, who um, gets a lot of backseat driving in a 3D chess game and is convinced to let Riker out of the cell in order to play better. More for him. As Riker is playing... Riker? As Riker is... Riker! As Riker is playing... Hardcore Riker. Riker. Yeah. As Riker is playing Nybor... Uh, Luxana's playing Tog, flattering him and showing off her ear game while her daughter listens in, horrified to the entire scene. It's, yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the visual demonstration, Matt. Listeners, be pleased you can't see both of, both of the <laughs> other people here doing, showing off their ear game. Um, oh, man, anyway. Man, oh, man, that's, that's good. Stop calling <laughs> Umox on yourself. You'll go blind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Um, so, anyway, sorry, man. The, the Enterprise has fixed its comms, realizes Riker and the Troys have been kidnapped, and starts scanning for them. Uh, Luxana tries to get Tog's access code and so nearly gets there until Dr. Farrick stops her. He wants to open her up and see how telepathy works. And Tog's very scared of losing his rank and looking like a real idiot for ev basically everything he's done. So he gives her over. Uh, Wesley wants to help with the search, is given his lunchbox and packed away, like sent off to go to, uh, to the ship to go off to his oral exam. But no, he has an epiphany and he doesn't call it in overcomes, which you could totally do. Instead, he misses <laughs> his ship and his exam to explain himself in person. The interference they're seeing, Riker's been sending it in the tune of the cantina band from earlier, and now they can find the Ferengi. Yay! 
things have escalated a bit on the Frankie ship, so it is good that the Enterprise pops up when it does. Tog is back in charge now and has everyone as his hostage. Um, when the Enterprise calls in, Roxana plays it like Picard has shown up as her jealous lover, and he yes ands like a motherfucker here. <laughs> he goes all Shakespeare, he's giving sonnets. Roxana says he can't keep killing all of her lovers, and Picard says Ooh, you time. Oh, oh damn that's it. Not that's not bad. That's close. not but that's look for Charlie, this oh. is for Charlie, this is his A game. So Matt, we tend to we try to keep it short and inevitably overrun, which is why we see who's who's the better at it each week. Yeah. We have had one where we've both underrun, but it almost never happens. Yeah. Nobody told me there was a time limit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm I'm sure right. yours will be fine. And go. Okay. Anyway, um, this is all going really well. Tog is freaking out. He gives everyone back. Uh, Luxana's all revved up from the poetry, and Picard insists, can we leave quickly, drop her off home before he has to deal with her anymore? Um, Wesley has missed the oral exam, and apparently it's a once a year thing, so he'll stick around for a bit. Thing is, Picard's really impressed with him for these last three years. And gives him a rank and a uniform. No more terrible jumpers for Wesley. Hooray! The end. Hooray! Hooray! Gets a, is it red uniform? Give him, they give him yep, a, he, he gets a red uniform. Yeah, yep. Yeah. 36, 70, 36 seconds. Wow. I think, I, I, I think that's the one I had a toy of, of Wesley Crush. <laughs> I like purpose. You had a yeah. toy of Wesley. Look, look. I remember in, in um, Will Wheaton in his book, Just a Geek, how when he tried to negotiate for a pay rise, um, they said, yeah, we can't give you a pay rise, but we can make you an ensign in the show. And he's like, I, I can't, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my rent with that. Oh, shit. Yes. And it's, it's, it's funny because I think he leaves nine episodes into the next season. It is something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so this, this was a bit more Madrill Barrett, you know, uh, compared to seeing her as Christine Chapel being fairly underserved. At this point in TNG, not only is she the voice for computer, but also like, I give her shit to do. And and that's great, despite the Ferengi. Like, what the fuck, Ferengi? Um, I'm hoping this is just like some small pocket of them that are just the worst. You know, we've we've seen some good Ferengi. DS9 does a lot to redeem them. And hell, in things like Treachery, Faith, and the Great River, you can see how the Ferengi philosophy actually works in a functional society. Because this this ain't it. No. These are the bad guys, Charlie. They're meant to, they're meant to be the bad guys. This is the best they can do for bad guys. <laughs> no, there's no is there Borg yet? Well, what's, what season is this? This is season this three, is... so there are Borg. Oh, just... Season three, so there are yeah. Borg. They're still just plugging away at the Ferengi, aren't yeah. they? So... Be Best of Both Worlds is like three episodes away. So, I I have a question for you, for you both. Hmm. Did you go into this thinking that this was going to be a comedy episode? Because um, this is not what I was expecting. I think I was expecting a, a bit more of your kind of traditionally because Star Trek comedy has like two flavors. 
it's either everyone acts like morons and it's slapstick, or we're going to do like a Shakespearean comedy of manners slash comedy of errors. And I thought that was what they were going to be going for mm. with like Damon Tog and um, Luxana. But then he kidnaps, uh, he kidnaps them both. And you think, okay, we're, we're going to go like taming of the shrew kind of yeah. thing. And then of course, like this is the one where he does, where Shat, where um, Picard does his fantastic bad acting Shakespeare. So I'm thinking this is going to be funny. And it's like, no, no, this is going to go into like a uh, weird, creepy, uh, nearly sexual thriller where like Luxana has to keep ear wanking him to keep him from like doing a murder. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go fatal attraction here. I mean it's 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 hijinks, isn't it, basically? It's hijinks, but it's a hijinks as a but but yeah, they also try to play it straight as well. Kind yeah. of quite weirdly. It's almost like a like a heist type kind of mm. thri- thriller they're trying to introduce as well. So, well, you hear yeah. Luxana Troy and you hear Ferengi, and you think hijinks episode, wacky fun, you know? Oh, it's it's going to be some extremely low stakes kind of nonsense. Um, yeah, the kidnapping was a bit more than I thought, and even though the Ferengi were almost all idiots who were fairly easily dispatched, um, there was still a minor like undercurrent of threat especially from ethan phillips of all people (laughs) like neelix was there being a ferengi and being the most competent of them despite again being a really shit wingman like yeah it was it was fascinating to see um yeah i just i don't know like ferengi what the fuck like is DS nine even a thing at this point? It's no, it's I don't think no, no. no. Okay, so yeah. a while three, before three, they get better. Uh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Uh, on the subject of terrible wingman, don't you hate it when you're hanging out uh, on holiday with one of your best friends who is also your ex, and uh-huh. then your, and then your mum turns up with her mute gay man servant and is clearly trying to get you to fuck your coworker. Isn't that always embarrassing when that happens? Well, some tense some personal experience. <laughs> so are you trying to say there was some kind of subtext in that episode? No, 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 this is sub- Star Trek. Star Trek doesn't do subtext or um or or multifaceted storytelling. The thing is, rewatching that watching that episode for me, rewatching the episode now through I mean pre- I'm pretty certain Teenage Matt would have hated that episode. Oh. Teenage Miles would have hated that episode. Mm-hmm. Because it goes nowhere, it does nothing, and everyone just runs around doing silly nonsense. You know, I, there's very little plot, very little structure. It's all, it, it is, yeah, quite silly. But grown up, Matt, I looking at the character of Luxana Troy, mm. she's that is actually a really great character. Yeah. She really, really does get her I... teeth stuck into that role. And that that is kind of almost <laughs> worth the price for mission alone. Yeah. Oh, de- you know, definitely. Um, I I really did cut. I liked I liked the episode. I just my big wish was that the whole like you got the first episode, the first half, where it seems to be more. Um, Troy wants her mother to treat her as an adult, hmm. and her her mother keeps mothering her. And I thought, okay, as this is gonna go along, we're gonna see, we're gonna see Luxana see that her daughter is grown up and a capable woman and learn <laughs> to pull back. But no, 
You know, especially no. after Troy makes a big thing about not being called Little One, and Luxana kind of seems to get that, then she is calling her Little One when they're kidnapped on the spaceship. Yeah, there's no no real growth in that storyline, and I understand no. uh, there's that kind of equilibrium distortion, equilibrium kind of path to Star Trek TNG stories, where nothing can really change. But Deanna just really felt like she went into the background when they were kidnapped. It was very much Luxana who, again, some hijinks, but the, the occasional little bit of detail and nuance under the surface. And Riker, who, yeah, manages to backseat chess his way out of prison. Uh, wish I could do that more often. Yeah, I mean, I say that. I'm rubbish at chess. So, yeah, that's I, not I, happening. Are you rubbish at chess because like it's a diff? It sometimes it's a difficult game, and you're always playing someone better than you. Or are you gonna pull like an Elon Musk and claim the reason that you're bad at chess is because chess is too simple and doesn't take into account like the realities of warfare? Oh Jesus! No, no, it's it's definitely the first one. Yep. Um, yeah, are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> Because not a slanted argument there at all. You're absolutely not sure about all. that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think very few people think like Elon Musk. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, Thankfully. Yeah. I, do you know what it is what, almost worth it for the price of admission? Picard at the end. It, it's like oh. um, Patrick Stewart's been kind of doing his best and not be in the episode. Like, oh, wait. Because as we all know, whatever... Luxana Troy gets on the Enterprise, Picard's fight or flight responses kick in. To mm-hmm. I, the high gear is either going, right, I am either going to leave the ship or I am punching an ambassador. And then he's just like, quiet, it's not, not in this, not in this, not in this. Shakespeare! Give that man a chance to monologue and he will take it. Like, I mean, he that, really that's, fixes. that's a meme, isn't it? The whole the, with his hand gesturing. That's that's where that like comes the, from, the, isn't it? The, the, the song, the the, the captain Jean Luc Picard of the USS Enter. Like, and also, it's not just he's doing Shakespeare; he's doing Shakespeare atrociously. Yeah, and like that almost seems to be like the meta joke that we have one of the best Shakespearean actors of the age slaughtering what he's known for and selling it hilariously yeah yeah it's one of those things that that sequence elevates the episode and it's it's an all right episode but yeah that's so much fun Uh, all right okay i'm looking for looking for an episode yeah so like this isn't bad this is this is fun it's nothing it's a trifle, you know? Yeah. So like unlike Teen Miles or Teen Map, I didn't hate this. Mm. <sighs> yeah, it's it's a it's a vehicle again, isn't it, for um Major Barrett. Gene Roddenberry is very clearly a wife guy and and bless him for it. I mean and a and, wife well, asterisk. Yes. Yes, all all of the above, but like he he clearly what always wants a chance, like show off what his wife can do as an actress, and you know, bless his heart for that. I can't I can't fault the man. She's yeah. a lot of fun too. Even if you even if you find the character to be grating, or you find the character to be endearing, and sometimes she's both at the same time. Yep, 
she gets it's an interesting character she gets a, a lot to do and yeah it's an episode for her basically isn't it so i it's there's nothing really bad in it apart from the ferengi yeah really, yeah really that... bad in it. <laughs> i feel but, the ferengi but... let it down a bit with their, but, I mean, their I... words and deeds Mainly. I was about to say they don't move move the character development forward, but at this point in TNG, nothing moves the character de- development no. forward at all. Anyway, yeah, everything is is a complete reset. So, yeah, it's a enjoyable little tale. So, look around the halfway point, because um, yeah, I'm trying to find something interesting to compare it to. We have around the halfway point our highest rated episode of Enterprise, the Andorian incident in place number thirty five. I quite liked the Andorian incident, which also yeah. involved people getting held captive, and the Andorians were a lot more interesting than the Ferengi. Okay, I am looking at number thirty-seven, which is Jachel, which mm. is um, fun with war crimes, and Ethan Phillips gets to actually act instead of being like the comic relief. So, yeah, because that man can act. Like, yeah, people, people assume the worst from Neelix, but. Yeah, he's just given a terrible character to act with. But yes, yeah, yeah he, he's, he's not a bad actor. Okay. It, it, it's like Colin Baker, like, he's a fantastic actor. It's just when he's wearing that fucking coat in Doctor Who, you're like, no, this man can't act. Look at what he's wearing. Oh. <laughs> so are you saying better or worse than Jatrell? I'm going to say, I think Jatrell is better. Because like there, I I feel like you get some really ju- it's equal footing. I'd actually have to say. Okay. Um. Let's like let's see. And there's like, what there's Riker's Klingon work experience. Yep. I'm just under that, which was a lot of fun. Again, some fun with aliens. Um. I down a little bit. Treachery, faith in the great river. I mentioned earlier for being that great kind of Ferengi upcycling. Of like, if you trust in making friends and trading shit with people, you'll you'll get the thing you want, and that kind of interesting look at their philosophy. Okay, I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this to Matt. Matt, is this better or worse than the game where video games and drugs are bad? I'd say it's worse than the game. Okay. All right, Fair. then I'm I'm at gonna least, at least again. There's the game is there's an idea behind the game. They're trying yeah. to yeah. They're trying to say something in the game where this is not saying anything. This is just um, enjoyable pop TV. Mm. All right, I'm good with that. So I'm gonna say that this goes underneath the game. Yeah. So yeah. Better than quality of mercy. Better than I'm quality of mercy. Game. Yep. Okay. Let's put that. Have I ruined your? Have I ruined your list? No, no, no. no. I'll try harder next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It, this is year two, so we're we're wanting to play with having some guest stars occasionally, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting seeing who does ruin the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably going to be Sean after all the shit. We've oh, God damn it, Sean. I, I haven't even met this man. I've just yes handed a lot of. Oh, I, I I got I, I I hung out with him over the weekend, and um, he he got his own back by going to the video game room the, of the convention I was at. Um, when I said, "Hey, they have Lord of the Rings for Super Nintendo," 
and he made me sit through him playing that game. <sighs> he deserves all he fucking gets. God, Sean. God damn it, Sean. All right, so, Matt, as our first inaugural guest star, the motion guest star, you know, the motion guest star, if you will, you are gonna have you are gonna get to recap DS9. Charlie, what is this episode? Where was it? And what was the number ones? Wow, so this is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season one, episode seventeen, titled The Forsaken. It aired on the twenty third of May nineteen ninety three, with a teleplay by Don Carlos Dunaway and Michael Piller, story by Jim Trombetta and directed by Les Landau. The UK number one hit at the time of airing was Ace of Base with All That She Wants, and the US one was Janet Jackson with That's The Way Love Goes. Um, yeah, I, Ace of Base, again, fun, daft, cheesy thing. Really just the worst politics, as it turns out. From the, Yep. Yeah. I don't. I don't think about their politics. I, I, it's really weird. That song means I can place exactly where I was. Yeah. At, yeah. At the time. At the time of the episode. It is yeah, one that is kind of, kind of kind of freaky. It's one of those songs you think, oh, oh, I hate that piece of music. I remember exactly where I was <laughs> when that piece of music was playing everywhere. Yep. Yeah. That was 1993. Way too much. <laughs> 1993. The 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 Janet Jackson song was you know the other one was good. Yeah. Like it was better. It 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 wasn't just repeating the same like sentence over and over again for three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As far as Ace of Base, if you want to depress yourself, just yeah, look up their politics. But if you don't I, want to no, depress no. yourself, listen to Matt recapping in five minutes, give or take. You know. Yeah. The episode The Forsaken. Right, Mars. Are you timing it? Oh, I was going to look at. I was going to look up Ace of Base's politics. <laughs> While I'm doing my recap, cheers. <laughs> that, 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 that. It's, it's not going to be that bad. Although I'm not certain it's going to make five minutes. Okay, uh, it's we, not going to be anywhere. Any, it's not going to be anywhere near as scintillating as your your uh, we, attempts, guys. We believe best. in you. I'll do my best. Okay, good luck and engage. Okay, so uh, this is an episode of Deep Space Nine, a first season episode of Deep Space Nine, and it opens up with uh, Cisco having palmed off a trio of visiting ambassadors to the station. He's palmed them off on Julian Bashir. Um, now, Julian Bashir is one of my favourite characters in all of Star Trek. I love the actor, I love the character, but let's face it, first season, second season Julian Bashir is an annoying puppy dog that you often want to punch in the face. And... <laughs> and <laughs> And that's pretty much exactly what's, what Cisco is thinking. I mean, I, I know what he's thinking. He doesn't want to see the ambassadors. He quite clearly makes, he quite clearly says in the episode, he hates ambassadors. Um, he points out he punches one at, at one point. That's how I literally thinks of ambassadors. Um, so, yeah, he pans off on Julian. We open up in Quarks. Um, the ambassadors are all universally dreadful people. Um, how on earth they get to be ambassadors, I have no idea. They are rude and arrogant and, you know, you think... Get you... them off planet. Yeah. Yeah, it must be, mustn't it? It's like, we can't stand this person. Let's make them an ambassador to another culture and they can go and annoy them. But, um, yeah, um, Julian is not the best person to be calming their nerves. Um, he's terrible at it. Anyway, uh, over at the Davo table, cries of Davo, 
Um, and we pan over and yeah, Loxana Choi is there and she's distraught. She's lost her, her necklace, uh, fabled heirloom of Beta Z. She accuses, immediately accuses uh, Quark, which is obviously completely understandable because it, you know, most likely is going to be him. But no, it's not. Uh, Odo comes into the, uh, comes into Quark's, quickly solves the crime, works out who really took the necklace, aim, uh, earning the immediate admiration of Loxana. Um, she loves his, his, you know, his intelligence, his cool, calm demeanor. Yeah, she has a type, doesn't she? I mean, she, <laughs> she likes her men cold and unavailable, basically. Um, so, yeah, he, he ticks all the boxes. Um, there's a nice back and forth between Quark and Odo. First season DS9, that is the best stuff in the entire first season. Those are the two best characters. Every scene with them is beautiful. Um, right, full disclosure, I think I've mentioned earlier, I'm not a massive fan of the Roxana character, but she is a demanding presence in everything that she's in. And yeah, this episode, this episode doesn't really have a main plot. It's like two subplots, two B stories sort of stuck together with a tiny C story. So the uh, first plot is Luxana. Second plot is Chief O'Brien is having trouble with the computer. Um, the computer is talking back to him. It's actually quite hilarious. Um, it's just saying no to him when he asks it to do stuff. And he's getting very, very, very pissed off with it. Yeah, uh, Colmini is superb as Chief O'Brien, but the classic computer doesn't want to do what, it, what it's supposed to do. Uh, a probe comes through the wormhole. Not quite sure how, I'm not sure if wormholes have gravitational pull. A probe comes through the wormhole and they pull it into the station and they decide to, to probe it a bit, to probe, to probe the probe to see what it is. Meanwhile, Lexana ha- goes to visit Odo. She comes on strong, almost predatory. Poor, inexperienced Odo doesn't know what to do. There's such a great play between the two characters. Luxana is flamboyant. She's extravagant. She exaggerates everything. Whereas Odo is, to the point, straight, straightforward. Chalk and cheese, they play for each other perfectly. Yeah, Luxana comes across a little bit creepy, which pulls it back by being quite fun, quite playful. Uh, Odo runs straight to Cisco and says, get this woman off my back. <laughs> this, woman is, this woman, I mean, this is, I mean, you've got to remember Odo. I'm not quite sure the time scale here, but Odo, he's not experienced with women at all. He's, you know, no. he's, he's, she terrifies him, to be perfectly honest. Um, Cisco's response is, why don't you go and get some? Uh, Cisco finds the whole thing absolutely hilarious. He see a big, big smile, Cisco, what's the problem? Why don't you let her have some of you? Which Odo is not, <laughs> not impressed with. He comes up with a whole soliloquy about how he doesn't understand solid emotions and solid mating rituals and all this kind of stuff that makes him sound like a hand-me-down dater at this point. Anyway, anyway yeah, Cis- my notes say Cisco is not helpful. Right, back to the probe. Uh, O'Brien and Dax are probing the probe. They are, it's, it's a very probey probe, my notes say. Uh, it's got lots of memory in it, so obviously something weird is going to go on there. Back to Luxana and Odo. Uh, she corners well, him in a lift. Back to time's up. Really? Really? Oh, wow. Okay. 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 See, I, I guess I was really long. You may, you may feel concerned about how long you've run there, but we have yeah. definitely, definitely done longer. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start oh. a stopwatch and see how far you overrun by. <laughs> okay. But so you're not through. over yet. <laughs> Okay. okay, right, and go. 
Uh, Odoin Laksana in the in the lift. She's coming on strong again. He says he turns into a jelly form every 16 hours. She says, well, I can swim, which I think is a wicked line. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. she makes, she's sharp. She's funny. They play up each other perfectly. You know, there is a lot of good stuff here. She is an engaging character. They're still probing the probe. Probe gets very annoyed, starts shutting stuff down in, all over the station, including the lift, which Odo and Laksana are in. Odo wants to stay and stand there nice and quiet until rescue. Luxana wants to talk. Odo, my notes here say Odo considers electrocution. He considers <laughs> himself into the electrical grid of the, of the lift to, to avoid having a conversation. Back to O'Brien. Uh, O'Brien has noticed the computer has changed its personality and its voice. He comes across as extremely paranoid to my mind. Uh, in any other context, people would be like, no, no, yes, yes. The computer has not changed its voice, O'Brien. The computer is the same computer it's always been. But O'Brien is actually correct. The computer program is actually a sentiment life form. In fact, a possibly a, a young baby life form and wants to be played with. O'Brien tries to put the baby back in the probe. The lights go out again. Things go wrong. Odo and Alexander are still in the lift. Odo, we get some Odo backstory at this point. This is one of the best bits of the episode. They can do some real good character building stuff with Odo. We learn about his his origin, his history, and you know, up to now, you haven't he hasn't opened up to anyone. He opens up to Alexander because they're trapped in a lift. She's actually a very personable person to actually speak to, and yeah, she's very under when she's not showing off and and parading around she's really really understanding right back to o'brien uh they try to trap the uh oh my god i've got so much more to cover all right let's let's run through this really quickly they try to trap the probe in some rods it goes badly wrong and the ambassadors remember the ambassadors yeah from the beginning yeah Yeah. yeah. the ambassadors are still with bashir Ambassador's walking down the corridor, a really bad fire special effect explodes as, re- as a result of the probe messing with the station. Ambassadors and Bashir get trapped. Meanwhile, Odo is now melting. And uh, Luxana tries to reach out to him and say, you know, just don't worry about it. I don't mind seeing you in this state. And she takes her wig off. She says, look, this is me under my wig. This is who I am, really. And it lets him let his guard down. And he melts into her. Into, she catches him in a dress. She melts into her dress. He melts into her dress. There's a great line from Luxana. She's she says, Why, why don't you wear why do you wear your wig? You look fantastic, Odo says. And she says, Well, I look ordinary. I've never cared to be ordinary, which is a wicked line. Yeah. O'Brien cages the uh pre-computer program, calls it a pup. Bashir saves the day with the um ambassadors by sticking them in uh whatever, whatever passes for a Jeffrey's tube in Dick Space Nine, in the conduits. And we tie all things up nicely at the end with Luxana and Odo saying goodbye, having reached a lovely understanding. Um, done. Yeah, that is three minutes and 35 seconds over. Okay, I've never done this before. Could you tell? <laughs> Matt, as our first guest, and who had to do that, who, who um, didn't know we had, we, we timed this stuff, um, just going to say, well done. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's that's not condescending. Like it's it, that's well that, like good job, well done. You roll with the punches. You um you Kirk shoulder rolled your way out of that one. So oh, just yeah. for context, not including the films because they're their own things. Crossover, the episode of DS9 where Odo fucking explodes. I overran by five minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah. A lot wow. of it was me losing my mind. 
at seeing the Odo exploding. But we, 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 three minutes thirty-five is is that's, that's the that's, that's the mirror, that's mirror universe Odo, isn't it? Mirror yeah, universe Odo yeah. with, with, the yeah. whip, with the whip and, and that, being the, the nasty bit of work. They pop that fucker like a balloon. He does it's explode incredible. very dramatically. Oh it's my very, god! Almost, it's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. Yeah. So. <laughs> I. If you had to deal with ambassadors like that, if you were Cisco, like, is there worse advice you could give, really, than any of the stuff he did for any of this? He was just having fun today. I, you know, going Odo, get some Bashir. Fuck off, you deal with them. You know, I punch them. Oh no, don't punch them unless you want to punch them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think the wor- I think the worst advice would be if he had told Bashir to fuck them. <laughs> I mean, out of all the like, he starts DS Nine basically in that he's somewhere between. I've read a book on being Riker, but I'm not good enough to be Riker, and I'm you know that kind of I'm going to explore. The, the world and find people that I've never seen before who are exotic and quaint and I'm probably going to fuck a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, he, he does quite clearly want, want to sleep with anything that's a bit weird. Yeah, I, I, I find watching those early episodes with, with Julian really strange because I love what they do with the character later on with the genetic mm-hmm. engineering, flattered manipulation and reveal that he's actually, he is, you know, a genius. He's just hiding it. I mean, it was never the plan. Yeah. The actor, actor hated what they did with that character he much preferred julian to be you know the the, the doctor doctor struggling and learning rather than hiding a genius all along so yeah watch those early episodes especially this one at the end he saves the day by being ingenious and logical that's yeah. that's what the the vulcan said you can retcon really do a nice little retcon there and say that yeah he is a genius hiding the whole thing through his comedy through his his, his fumbling flam you know fumbling idiocy throughout that, that entire episode. So oh. I find it really interesting to yeah, to watch yeah, uh, Bashir in that role. I mean, Siddick is a joy both as a smart, competent character and as a complete boob. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a great actor. It's always good fun to see him, even in these kind of slightly more frivolous, slightly dafter roles. So yeah, that was good fun. I think it brought back a memory of how I've got some weird internet friends for Huddle who are lovely people, but whenever someone's going off for a job interview, the number one piece of advice that always gets repeated like a mantra now is to punch the biggest one in the room to establish dominance. And I was wondering, would that have worked with the ambassadors? (laughs) So, yeah. I See, I've... As a former supervisor at Starbucks, I haven't actually Hmm. punched anyone. I did boop a nose... In, in an attempt to assert dominance. Wow. And it worked because, like, you know, you yeah. can't you can't complain to management about nose grouping. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. It was like he, he was very kind of prim and very kind of up himself, and I'm I'm me, so the best way to undercut someone is to um is to just kind of act silly and just kind of get away with I- it. I like that actually being a bit ridiculous sometimes. Some people don't know how to deal with you when you're ridiculous and it diffuses situations. It, yeah, it's, it's not a bad idea. It's definitely um, something I've learned from watching uh, far too much Doctor Who of acting like an idiot, but then just kind of just keep paying attention, keep my eyes open and mouth shut, as Patrick Troughton put it so perfectly. Um, yeah. yeah, I I love Lux, uh, Luxana in this episode. 
yeah, yeah, I think I think Matt nailed it with the description from the last episode of like child me, no. Would not yeah. have cared for any any Lotana Troy episodes in any of these, but no. as an adult, after experiencing characters of all different ages, after watching things like Gilmore Girls and seeing the utter horror of like Darth Vader's rival, Emily Gilmore. You know, she is she can be that evil, but at the same time that she she is incredibly human and puts mm. up these incredible guards and these incredible walls. But sometimes you see this little fragment, this truth of who who she is, and you get that with Buxana here. And with Odo, who I, I I don't overly care for a lot of the time. It's that thing of yeah, he's a lot more comfortable with serving a weird fascist kind of dictatorship than he is dealing with emotions about a woman. I think just like with Roxana, you see that how lonely she is. Like her husband's yeah. like her husband's dead. Her her daughter has grown up and moved on. And yeah. so yeah, she does become like nine times out of ten it she kind of becomes like that very kind of outdated 90s stereotype of there's nothing sex there's nothing funnier than an old woman who's horny. Like yeah, this is definitely totally. before Sex in the City kind of changed that, mm. but I love when I I love when she kind of just lets it down and she's just when she asks Odo about his history, but you know she's not asking you know she's just asking because like you know I think she sees someone similar to her who's very clearly lo- lonely and has put up a wall, and I think Odo for the most part seem always seems to be someone who because everyone else is a solid that they're unchanging that they're just this one thing and that's all they can ever be and then he see, meets Luxana who has that wall but then shows that she has depths that she can shapeshift in, in her own way and that definitely yeah. kind of that definitely comes across like i think both characters are playing it beautifully the comedy i was kind of expecting from menage toy was in fine form here with Rene Aubergenois being perfect in the um kind of comedy pursued not wanting to be stuck with this woman. Well, yeah. he's like Picard being pursued, but what if you don't know anything about women or much about people? You know, if you're sudden if you're so much less socially competent. Yeah. Oh dear God, this is terrifying. This is a horror movie right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought, yeah, the, the elevator scene was just really, it's a really decent piece of writing. Yeah. yeah. Re- really measured, careful piece of writing that, that serves both characters so, so well. And so. It, the episode, like, having not, like, the biggest plot gives mm. those scenes the best, like, all the time they need to breathe. So it's not yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't become like a. Oh, we have to wrap up the episode. We're gonna let this. We're gonna let this little two-person drama play out very slowly. It's a perfect bottle episode. Mm. It does exactly, yeah. exactly what it needs to do. It gives you a satisfying story. Although, can we just say the the huge missed opportunity of not using pup again? That yeah. Program. Yeah. I immediately went to memory alpha to go. Do they do anything They've with got- this? They've got a program that can take over and and destabilize the station, 
And then the Cardassians take over the station, end of season five. Yeah. And, and no one goes, hey, let's sick pop on them. I mean, basically, Miles has got a Tamagotchi. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, says it, he, said, he says at the end, I'll keep playing with it. I'll give it stuff to play. He's, at some point, you think they'd reference the fact that in between being mercifully tortured through every single season, he has to go back every so often and just uh, do this to. Oh, no, it's hungry his, again. To, <laughs> to just feed his Tamagotchi. But yeah, no, totally. If, I mean, if Star Trek and Deep Space Nine was, at, at that point, if Deep Space Nine was less of an episodic format, mm. if it was more of a, you yeah. know, looking for the future format, that, that's a plot point dying they, to be used again. They, yeah. They, Babylon 5 would have used Pop, just saying. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I was watching it, and I think I've got on my notes somewhere, like Pop keeps appearing where the drama is happening. Pup is very excited and going everywhere and, and wrecking stuff if there needs to be more drama. Is Pup for fans? He <laughs> <laughs> just, just likes being there in DS9 and going, no. oh no, you're not exciting enough. Arrgh, no, Pup is, Pup just perpetually wants tea. He just wants drama. He, he, he's when, a, he can't, when he can't get his own way, he tries to yeah. kill people. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, want to take that to it, it's a logical conclusion. It's, oh, when, he, <laughs> sorry, when he can't get his own way, he sets fire to things. There yeah. You go. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Again, there have been worse statements about fans Yeah. yeah in, in the popular culture. Look, as long as Miles O'Brien doesn't come back to find um, Pop reading Catra and the Rye, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Um. I think... I completely forgot about the pup storyline until your recap because yeah. the scene the scene in the lift overshadows so much that yeah. it just drifts away. It's just but, you know You could argue that pup, pup the pup storyline gets more airplay than the Luxana mm. storyline. Yeah. But, but it's it's and it is it's, it drives the plot. That is the story that drives the plot. But that's not what you remember from the episode. No. No. You remember that that scene in the lift. You remember their relationship, and that's what get that. Funny enough, that relationship gets carried on mm. in later episodes when she returns, and they get they get married. So, um, yeah, that's the thing that gets picked up on, not pup. Yeah, well, it stops things just being a replay of her and Picard, which yeah. is good because there was that potential. There was really that potential there at the start of it all. Um. Yeah. Can can I just say, am I correct in thinking that in the in the lift, mm. Luxana Troy uh, says she slept with Damon Targ? Did she actually say I, that? She did. I, I got I got the implication in the episode that right. she goes like you know. I'm sure that you know there there is the implication left, in the episode. It's left vague in the episode. It's left isn't to it? a commercial break. <laughs> yeah. Well, they go into the bedroom, but then next thing you know, it's earplay. Yeah, so... I kind of, to be honest, I kind of figured she was talking about the earplay, you know, with that kind of thing. Like she, I'm sure she, she said, finished she him off. Slept... With... I'm sure she says sex. Who oh, am I? I suppose yeah, Dex. Sex is open to definition, isn't it? Or, hmm. but yeah, I, I did. I picked up on that and thought, oh, okay. Did I miss hmm. something? Is that was it subtle? I don't know. I mean, if. If it was referred to, it was a definite retcon there, because, yeah, that episode of TNG was a lot more chaste than that, which, I mean, yeah. I guess it's TNG or, anyway. or, or maybe just, like, um, Luxandrus' is bracken, like, yeah, once, yeah. Got ki- once got kidnapped by for my, my daughter, and I once got 
kidnapped by a Ferengi. What did I do? I shagged my way out. Yeah. <laughs> what a legend, yeah. Deep, you know? Yeah, it is true. <laughs> that, that is also true. Yeah. All so, right. look at our list. Like, where do we where do we put this? This is a good one, and we've got we've got a fairly top heavy list anyway. Um, and a lot of the top is is DS Nine because, like you, Matt, we are suckers for Deep Space Nine. DS Nine season one episodes are universally tend to be quite looked down on. I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of character building there, but I mean, people. People don't really care much for those character, a lot of those characters at first. So, so yeah. Our worst one for DS9 is a season one episode. It is, of course, a favourite of ours. It's Move Along Home. Uh, which, yeah. hey! uh, move Along Home can move along to the bottom of the damn list. I mean, well, yes. despite <laughs> enjoying it, it deserves its place quite low down. Yes, it does indeed. But yeah, like higher up, I don't know. I was trying to find some sort of like, Something with a good gravitas filled two two hander kind of thing, but again, though, not got so many of those. Yeah, grand, I'm looking at things like of things, in the grand scheme of things, though, it's kind of an almost inconsequential episode. Mm. A, a single, I mean, you get Odo's backstory, yeah, and, and a single plot line is picked up later for a single episode, but I mean, apart from that, it's a yeah, it's 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 a bottle episode, it's it's in. It's enjoyable. Again, it's very much like Menage a Troy. 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 Yeah. That uh, it's enjoyable. Yeah. But it's never going to make it's any, any best, best of Trek lists. So that's where we don't just look at our own opinions, because obviously this is an objective list. It also, an amount of the weight of what does this mean in the whole show, in the, in the canon of it. How important is it? Which is why things like a mock time are fairly high up because it's got some iconic moments. Even though the episode ain't all that, you know, it's it's fine. There's definitely been better uh, TOS like Conscience for King and and that. But yeah, as far as this goes, I don't know. Like high up places, you got stuff like Drone, which has some nice moments of gravitas with uh, Seven and her weird future son. Oh right, I'm trying to remember what Drone was. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see. We do have, of course, Odo fucking exploding, which this is probably not as good as. No, because, uh, crossover is a damn fine episode as well. So crossover is a it's a great episode. Yeah, it's crossover is so much fun. Oh, there's two Vix on the list. Yeah, yeah, two Vix did better than you I thought. Like, you would. guys like two Vix, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, really. It's surprisingly good. Yeah, it it was a fascinating one because we did a Tuvok episode, a Neelix episode, and then Tuvix to bring us, you know, the, the Holy Trinity. What 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 uh what one man brings what what what, what gets brought together may Jane Ray not set apart or something along those lines? <laughs> wow. You know you know the the new lower decks, uh you see the the, the uh episode listing for lower decks. There's a Two yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looking looking forward to that. Yep. Okay. Right. Um, God, where do we put this? So it's better than uh, Menage a uh, uh, Troy, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Yeah. So so higher than that. So that's in forty four. So that gives us quite a big play playground in. 
worse than crossover. So yeah. yeah. Let's see. So somewhere in All here. Hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, Data Law. A a shaky episode that does bring a legendary character. Although I've not really a massive fan of him, but you know. He's fine. He's fine. He's better than B4. Um <laughs> that's not a high high benchmark, is it? I, I quite like Data Law. I, it's not a bad not a bad episode. I, I, I like the, the crystalline is, entity of it all. You know, problem is those those early. It's hard to compare those early DS uh, early TNG episodes to early DS Nine episodes because the DS Nine, although may not have been quite so groundbreaking and exciting, they were far more polished. Definitely, and yet, that is our <laughs> job, Matt. That is what one person over. Right. I think this year so far has paid us a, a small sum. To keep doing. What, what's right. that? Uh, this we we the, the judge. Are, okay, is this better or worse than Genesis, where Barkley becomes a spider? Oh god! And Wolf de- and Wolf definitely kills someone. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Barkley episodes myself. Hmm? I'm not a fan so of Barkley episodes yeah. myself. I love the body horror, but that two hander. With Odo and Luxana Troy, it it makes me love two characters that I am at best ambivalent about. Alright. Um, okay, we've got some good two-hander episodes like going up, which is we've got the wounded with O'Brien and O'Brien's captain. We've got Errand of Mercy, which has um current you know, Kirk and Core meeting the Klingons for the first time. And then after that, we have one of my favorite Lower Decks episodes, which is Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, where yeah. Jeffrey Coombs plays Agamus, the most passive-aggressive evil computer in all of Star Trek. And I definitely okay. think that this goes under that. Okay, so yeah, I think... Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. I think under Where Pleasant Fountains Lie and above yep. Genesis. Yeah. See, yep. I always think of Where Pleasant Fountains Lie for the weird LARP planet you know, I love a good weird Renfair planet, and they made a spaceship kind of thing of it, which I appreciate. But um, yeah, I always forget Agamus. But once for me, Agamus steals the oh. show of that episode, if only for the <laughs> I control the dimmer switch. Ag- Agamus will be back as well. He's not in the last of Agamus, have we? No, that's that's a plot thread they're going to be yeah, pulling please, on. Please, please give us more. Please give us yeah. more Agamus. More Jeffrey Coombs. Always yep. good to have more Jeffrey Coombs. thing is, if they give us more of him in any of the new shows, that will give us enough ammunition for a second <laughs> Jeffrey Coombs <laughs> special. And, um, yeah, and uh, he's a man deserving of it. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, that is place number 31 out of 70. Yeah, 71. I think that's respect. I think that's respectable. Yep. Very respectable. Probably, probably, maybe, maybe it's a little bit better than it deserved. But I, re- I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the episode. So, look, you, you talk, you're talking to the guys who have two vix on this number twenty three. Yeah. So, yeah, um, okay. yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to you guys at all. Is there? <laughs> no, there's, there's no logic to you guys in any way whatsoever. No, we're 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 insane. <laughs> look, so, you, look you, you're talking to an X-Men fan and a Doctor Who slash Blake 7 fan. Good taste got thrown out the window decades ago. Uh, you're talking to a man who's just about to spend a week reading God Loves Man Kills 2. 
Look, you, you, oh, oh, is that next up on the list? <laughs> yeah, that's tomorrow oh. for me. <laughs> you're, you're talking to a guy. You, look, this is a guy who likes Adam X the Extreme. What does he know about? What does he, he adores, know about good he taste? He adores that character. He dreams of coming to Marvel and watching <laughs> that character. He's, he cries out Adam's name in his sleep, which is really disturbing for Emma. But you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's learned to live with that. Sadly, she's to live with um, that. Yeah. Anyway, on that chilling note. That's it for this episode of Casual Trek. So all that remains is for us to plug our pluggables. First of all, of course, for us, we have a Kofi, which if you want to be like Cheryl and throw us some money and suggest either an episode of Star Trek or a theme, and we will build an entire podcast around it or an entire episode for podcast. We're not doing a second one of these. This is a lot of work as it is. but. Uh, you can find that in the show notes. Matt, where can we find you online? And do you have anything to share with the listeners? Please don't find me online. I try to stay offline yeah. as much as possible these days. Online, yeah. is, online is horrid. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Blue Sky. I'm on I'm on the places that you're on the places that you guys are on and everyone else is on. Um, one of the places I'd love you to go oh. to is Kickstarter because I have a book there at the moment called Thunderchild. Done the Child 2, it's the second issue, because people bought the first one, loved the first one, come up to me at cons, shake my hand, tell me I love the first one, which is really disturbing. Lovely, absolutely lovely, but I don't know what to say. Um, but yeah, second issue of Thunder Child on Kickstarter at the moment. Uh, it's about halfway funded, but uh, I've got a goal of 15 grand, so uh, a few more pennies in that yeah. direction. It's War of the Worlds book, focusing on the HMS Thunder Child, the ironclad warship that goes up against the martian tripods it is a really good book thank you charlie yeah Appreciate i it. loved the first issue i helped out very briefly at the mad robot comic stall at mcm and the energy like people were in love with that book the yeah. one of the variant covers went so quickly it was incredible watching the stats at the start of the day and how they went yeah. so be like those people and get in on that Kickstarter because yeah, I, I sold a lot shit. of sold a lot of those books. <laughs> it was very enjoyable to sell a lot of those books. So yeah, um, now we need to sell the second one. So yeah, thank you guys. Excellent. Yeah. So for me, you can find me at Blue Sky as Sky Shark. Uh, my comics and uh, RPG stuff is at skyshark.itch.io, and I blog about. RPGs, comics, and whatever at fakedtales.com. Miles, what about you? You can find me on Facebook, uh, Blue Sky, Twitter, um, and so occasionally threads for some reason. Um, my blog uh, is at mareadlobato.wordpress.com, where I'm very slowly um, watching and reviewing all the films of Martin Scorsese. Uh, because MCU fanboys uh, dissed Martin Scorsese uh, so horrendously on Twitter uh, that I went, right, I am doing this. I am going to try and watch every single Martin Scorsese film he has ever made because that will be a better use of my time than sitting through another Interminable Avengers movie. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes, so that's us. Next time, we're taking Cheryl's suggestion of a theme of aliens living among us on Earth. So that's going to be exciting. And um, yeah, until then, wear your best garish wigs. 
find a nice way to scoop up some goo in your dress and um yeah go do a starfleet <laughs> and practice safe umops yeah yeah and you know wash with, your hands with hand, hand sanitizer definitely thank you for having me guys no Very problem much. it was a pleasure yes thank you it was a it was great fun thank oh yes all right yeah and with that live long and have a jelly baby You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.